0: Welcome to The Art of Being a Mum, the podcast that's a platform for mothers who are artists and creatives, to share the joys and issues they've encountered while continuing to make art. Regular themes we explore include the day-to-day juggle, how mothers' work is influenced by their children, mum guilt, how mums give themselves time to create within the role of mothering, and the value that mothers and others place on their artistic selves. My name's Alison Newman. I'm a singer, songwriter and a mum of two boys from regional South Australia. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, together with music played, how to get in touch and a link to join our lively and supportive community on Instagram. The Art of Being a Mum acknowledges the Boendick people as the traditional owners of the land which this podcast is recorded on. Welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining me. It really is a pleasure to have you. My guest today is Shweta Bist. Shweta is a photographer currently based in New York City in the United States and a mother of two girls. Shweta was born in New Delhi in India. Both her parents were artistic, but put it aside to work. Shweta painted a lot, drew, sang, and was in the theater. She acted and danced. Art was an outlet for her, even as a child spending time doing oil canvases art was a way for her to find solace and to process things that weren't going right for her as a teenager in 2007 swetta moved to dubai with her husband and lived there until 2013 when she moved to new york city with her young family it was during this time of being a new mother that her interest and enjoyment from photography came to light as her experiences with photography developed Shweta found that the pictures became more art-like and began to reflect her inner thoughts and feelings, more so than doing work for others. While drawing attention to her maternal identity and the intimate relationship she shares with her daughters, Shweta stages conceptual photographs to draw attention to the emotional labor of mothering, highlighting maternal love and the reciprocity of mothering between mother and child. Her endeavor is to create images that urge the viewer to contemplate the complexities of the maternal experience in its ambivalent entirety, and to contribute to a narrative about the lives of women and their children told from their perspective. This episode contains discussion around anxiety and depression, and was recorded prior to the United States Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade. Music you'll hear today is from Australian New Age trio, LMJO, which features myself, my sister Emma Anderson and her husband John. And is used with permission. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on
1: today. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Alison.
0: Yeah, it's lovely to meet you. Likewise. So you you are, at the moment you you're in New York City. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, I live in I live in Manhattan
0: wow so like right in the thick of it
1: yes <laughs> yes it can get busy here <laughs> yeah um so whereabouts are you from originally so i'm from i'm from new delhi i'm from india um, and um, yeah i was born in in new delhi and i lived there for um for most of my life really up until now yeah um yeah i left after i got married two years after i got married to my husband we first moved to Dubai from yeah. Delhi and then after that we um moved to New York from Dubai yeah in 2013
0: so yeah right
1: uh, and I left home in 2007 so it's been a while
2: mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: You're a photographer, but not the sort of necessarily the style of photography that most people would think of when they think of a photographer. So, can you share with us um, what your sort of style is, and and perhaps why you do do things the way you do?
1: So, well, I when I started taking pictures, um, it was before the children were born, and I remember I bought my first camera in um, actual camera in um, Dubai in 2008. And um, at that time I worked um, for a company that manu- was basically a manufacturer of garments and protective wear for corporate clothing and industrial clothing. And um, I only had time on the weekends and I loved taking the camera everywhere I went. And gradually over a period of time, I developed much love for it. And you know, when you have children and you know how moms are and we're always taking pictures of our kids. and. Mm. Uh, that happened with when my first one was born and even then I didn't think I'd do this for a living yeah but you know we moved to New York and um after the second one was born about eight weeks after she was born we moved here and um I was home with the kids and you know of course snapping away and I think somewhere after a year I kind of thought you know I love this. I should, mm-hmm. I should do this for a living. <laughs> so, but I never really, you know, you know, when the kids were little, it was I didn't. It was hard for me to, kind of pull myself out of where I had gotten, you know, as a stay-at-home mom, and I was really very focused on building a life for them and a community for us because we didn't know uh, many people when we moved here, and um, so when the little ones started going to kindergarten, that's when I that's when I went back to um, school a little bit. I went, I took evening lessons at the School of Visual Arts. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, and I started taking pictures uh, for small sums of money, you know, just working freelance, like um, family photographs, um, shooting events, uh, performances, Mm -hmm. and, um, but, but I wanted to do something else is what I realized while doing all this, I was thinking I needed to make art. Mm. And, um, because I had so much to talk about, I felt, you know, about what I had experienced, uh, about being, uh, a mother. And it just became important for me to, um, reach out to other women, perhaps who were going through what I was in a sense. Um, and for me, it became, became mostly therapy. And what I do is I stage conceptual photographs um, that, are, um, that talk about my experience of mothering and my experience as a woman and a mother, really, basically, that's what it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so my work basically evolved over a period of time where it came from a place of necessity to process what I was going through. And um, also because I was interested in making art rather than just doing freelance paid paid work. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Something like meaningful and then something, I guess, that would satisfy what what you needed to get out of it. Like you said, you needed to make art. You needed to, you know, communicate to others and share your um, thoughts, I suppose.
1: Yes. Yes. And I think. Well, I think of myself as a thinker and an image maker. I have always thought a lot <laughs> um, since I was little. My mother was like, you think too much. And everybody who I've met almost, like, you think too much. I'm like, in the beginning, I used to think that something's wrong with me. But, um, yeah. you know, now I've come to a point that I'm like, uh, I'm so old now. <laughs> I don't think this is going away. <laughs> this condition is not going away. I should do something about it. So, um so you know i i harness all of that now you know because mm. you must i guess some of us are just thinkers and um it's important for me to make pictures to visualize my interiority i think that's that's what i'm doing really and um mm. taking pictures is it's meditative for me mm. um i use it as therapy like one might experience flow when you swim or you run and um some people meditate. Yeah. For me, this is meditation. Um and in that moment I connect with the world in this uncanny way. Um mm. that I'm so aware of the present, you know, and mm. in that one moment where the future doesn't exist and the past doesn't exist either really, in a sense. Uh because everything I've known up until that point is already influencing how I'm thinking and feeling in that moment Mm. and so therefore it's just that one moment for me at that point and what I do with it so I just find um photography a very meditative exercise and I engage in it to shut everything else down the noise if that makes any sense yeah no it does and uh, I think in the beginning when I when I started it was take pictures of what was in front of me waiting for a a circumstance to emerge you know the wait wow can be
2: endless
1: (laughs) um and but i think now what i do is because i want to use this as a tool to convey how i feel and i think Mm. so i construct images instead of waiting for the image to happen i i construct them and um you know, or I walk around with a camera till I find something that could potentially express how I'm feeling. Mm. And, and oftentimes, it's a very unconscious act, like it's all happening in there. And it all comes together in the end, you know, makes sense eventually, but that's kind of the thought behind how I, Mm. how I think and work. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So you use your daughters a lot in your work. It's a wonderful connection between your art and your children. And I guess it sort of makes sense because of what you're trying to convey. Can you share a little bit more about that?
1: Yes. Um, I think that when I started taking pictures of the girls and the setups and, the, sta- and the, the stage photographs with the children, it was at the start of the COVID pandemic and um you know we were home and the kids were wanting to be busy and i thought well instead of the ipad um why don't we just why don't we take pictures together and they were quite excited about the idea um and this you know they still like doing it with me although now kind of waning from it you know the -hmm. excitement is dying down but um how it started was that basically and um and over the course of taking pictures with them what i realized was that um when I was sitting with the work after that, post the fact, I realized that I've been living through them in a sense, um, reliving my past mm-hmm. and reliving my childhood. You know, as we do as mothers, I mm-hmm. right, Alison. Like when you're raising your kids and you're thinking back, wait, how was I when I was how was you know, how was I raised? And I think all of those questions are raised and and I think slowly I was kind of trying to Um, express that through my work with them
2: Mm.
1: and for me it became essential then to to for them to for me to give to allow them to have a different experience than what I did in a sense not that I had a that my parents had anything to do with the poor experience but just the fact that I had when I was a little girl I was in Delhi and you know life is hard there for girls and I think a lot of people are aware of that and I wanted them to grow up feeling strong about who they were as as who they are as girls. And, you know, and I think therefore, it, for me now, it seems that we take pictures together and I take pictures with them for a sense to role model mm-hmm. um, how, um, you know, that they should feel empowered in feeling in being girls. And also um, to because I talk about motherhood and I talk about how how I feel. um. I think it's essential for them to see that it's okay to talk about the hardships of of being a mother and not pretending that all the time that it's all fun and games and mm. that I'm happy all the time. I think it's the role modeling aspect for me is important because I want to raise empowered girls. Mm. I
0: love that. So when you were growing up in India, mm-hmm. um, you sort of touched on the way that the girl life for girls is hard. But you've also talked about being a deep thinker, that, mm-hmm. and and your need to express and to I guess work through things. Um, you know, you've talked about your your art being a therapy. Did you have any sort of outlet or any sort of creative things that you were doing as you grew up, or was that not even an option because you were a girl growing up in India?
1: Oh, no, I was very creative, actually, when I was young. Yeah. Um, I actually think most kids are, but um, especially in my house, I think because my father and my mother both were quite um, creative themselves. But I think they didn't have the opportunities. You know, they had to make a living. And, yeah. um, and also for girls and anyone in general, I think pursuing a career in art is not something that is considered uh, as a career choice <laughs> mm. in India at that time, it wasn't. I think now there is one liberal art school in in North India, the mm. first one of its kind. so um, but I did have a lot of um artistic pursuits when I was younger. I was um I painted a lot. um I also sang i i was a I was in theater and you know mm. I, was, I used to act and I had took Hindustani classical. Uh, voice lessons so i i had a very my extracurriculars were all creative there was mm-hmm. um it, it, i really didn't i was no sports nothing it was all creative work yeah so i loved it and um i think that even then for me um art was an outlet i used to make I remember these massive oil paintings which I hated eventually and I would paint all over them again. Like my canvases. I called my mother the other day. I said, Do you still have any of my canvases? She's like, Um, which ones? Yeah. <laughs> but because I was so such a perfectionist, yeah. I would paint and then I would be like, Oh, this is rotten and then I would go <laughs> paint over them again. <laughs> but um I remember feeling like an oddball um yeah. always because I was such a thinker and remember as I said, I was told I was thinking mm. too much. So yeah. I would spend time by myself a lot and I would paint and I would listen to music and yeah. and draw and um I think I would just spend time with myself a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so it was it was a way for me to find solace mm-hmm. and um and and process um things that weren't going right with me as as a teenager or as a as a young girl, yeah.
0: Yeah. Coming back to your photography, I'm really um, mm-hmm. fascinated by some of the work that you've done. I've been having a look on your Instagram account. And um, mm-hmm. I just want to go through a few of the, I guess, the titles and and the projects that you've done. The, there's one that you did um, called the COVID Family Portrait, which I thought was really, really
1: cool. Can yeah. you tell us about that one? Yeah. You? Well, you know, I mean, do I what happened to all the mothers during COVID it was just it. and when I say mothers I don't want to limit it to just women who are taking care of like mm-hmm. opening it up to anybody who cares for other people you know and I just feel like we were all exhausted and I remember in the beginning it was it seemed like hey we're on a holiday but <laughs> that didn't last too long and um very quickly i realized that this is not looking good because we had groceries coming into the house and i remember there was a scare about it spreading from surfaces and my husband and i were like washing bags of stuff and it was just really so really so frightening Mm. and um so there was a lot of work and we all know that and um i was exhausted but then i was so angry too Mm. and um in the middle we started we started the project I think in some in the summer the one with the girls and and then I was like wait a second but I feel so angry and I didn't I don't think I got to express that frustration um, until later when I was like okay, I think I should make a picture about this mm. <laughs> and, um, and, and and so but I had to wait to be less upset I think because in the moment, it would have been. Um, I wanted to. I wanted it to be just something whimsical because, um, I guess, when I make work, I also think about it being somewhat beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, like it has to. It has to communicate something essential, but it also, for me, I feel like I need it to be beautiful. I mean, and whatever my concept of beauty is, is what I'm obviously going at here. Yeah. And so it took me a while to mull this one over. It's like, how should I shoot this one? Yeah. And I love pink, and it was springtime when I shot that one. So, you know, then it became a no-brainer. Fatigued mom, kids on their devices, and father on the phone all day. So that was um. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. So that was a you know, uh, an interesting one, and I think a lot of people, um, related to it. It resonated with a lot of families. Mm. Yeah, so it was interesting shooting that one with everybody. They were laughing, my whole family. They were like, (laughs) "Are we really doing this?" I said, "Yeah." Isn't this the truth, though? Then Mm. the kids looked at me and they had a nice laugh. And my husband's like, "I do not, do not circulate this. (laughs) If my colleagues see this stuff, I'm like, relax." Oh God, (laughs) it's only the truth. Yeah,
0: that's it, isn't it? You're not, you're not showing anything that's not, you know, real.
1: yeah Yeah. but just on
0: on that when you said about how you're really angry and then you sort of waited before you did the shoot did you have
1: any sort of
0: idea in your head how that might have looked if you had have shot it when
1: you were angry I think the reason there's two reasons why I think I don't I don't make work when I'm extremely when I'm when I'm in that emotion Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the one reason is that my thinking brain doesn't work quite well <laughs> it's a very basic and a very standard like a really technical reason is that when i'm really emotional i'm not able to um focus very well if that makes any sense yeah. um i wouldn't be able to make it fun for the family is the second reason because i think when i'm taking pictures with the kids i need them to know that even though that this is something that is difficult Uh, a difficult emotion or a difficult uh, message Mm. that we're going to do it in a way that's light and acceptable for the children, because I don't want them walking away feeling that they did something that was upsetting to them. Yeah. And uh, I'm actually overall quite conscious about that when I work with them, because I want them to have good feelings and, and be agreeable about the the work we make together the work they make with me yeah. um and they're old enough to have that conversation with me you know it's not like they're they're you know when we started they were i think they were seven and ten mm-hmm. so so they were old enough to understand what was going on and so it, it it's always been important to me that they they're okay with what I'm sorry this is such a long-winded reply no, to what no, you but asked this, me
0: no yeah. this is perfect this is where, where I'm trying to go with it I think that you don't just use your children as a prop you don't just put them there and say look like this you're actually explaining to them what the message you're trying to convey so they can understand they're part of what you're creating I suppose yes
1: yeah. yes absolutely um when they were younger of course and I was taking pictures of them playing on the beach or doing something like that it was different you know yeah. and but I've always been quite conscious about um. Um, their agency you know I yes. want them to have that agency and I yeah. think it's because when I was young I didn't sure. and I feel also that if I want them to be people who express themselves and ask for what they want then they then I have to and I have to start giving them that authority in their lives yeah that's so important isn't it yeah i think so yeah. yeah
0: The one I want to ask you about was the one called Mother House. Can you just tell the listeners about that one?
1: Yes. So Mother House was is a piece that um, I made um, for a series for um, an exhibition that was uh, held by a spilt milk gallery. It was a virtual one. That's what we could do at, uh, during COVID. Mm-hmm. And the exhibition was titled Mythical Mother. And in which, uh, basically, the curator, who's Georgie White, was wanting to talk about, um, you know how how mothering really looks for those who mother, uh, instead of how it's supposed to look, in mm-hmm. a sense, where you know you're thinking this, you know this, you have advertisements that show mothers in a certain light, or you have we have you know, myths that talk about mothers in a certain way and what they're supposed to be and how they should be. And so I think the exhibition was just about showing what real motherhood looks like. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I was making work for it, I thought about, so what do the myths say? And since, you know, a lot of the books have been written by men and the stories have been told by men, um, could it be that reason why, we have framed them in a certain way for uh you know mothers to come across as always being sacrificing and giving and mm-hmm. um and also in mythology there is a myth of the virgin mother right and it's not just in one religion it's across many religions uh, and um um various people have proposed reasons why that is you know so but um, I feel that that propagates a certain sort of sense of sense of a mother that one feels she should be like pious and holy and mm. you know sacrificing and the martyr all of those <laughs> yes the martyr absolutely mm. so when I was making that I think I was thinking about um, I was thinking about um, the fact that how we suppose that you know women are. I actually took the myth of the, you know, the virgin mother in a sense, but I think what I was trying to do was having it come across as that, no, I'm not just, let's not talk about how the child came into the world because a lot of people don't birth their children, you know? Mm. And I think it's important to talk about the fact that the child, that you are a house for your child, whether it was, that you housed your child really in your in you know in your body for nine months and then your child lives with you and you your body becomes a site for your children whether it is in terms of conception a conception and then you know delivery and then living on but it's not limited to that it's you're always a site for your children mm-hmm. and um you are their eternal home and it's funny because i um I always tell the girls that in my case, because I gave birth to my children, that I was your first home. I say that to them all (laughs) the time and we joke about it and they laugh a lot. And I said, you really can't go too far from me. You can, but you will always be connected to me in a way. Mm. And, um, but it's not just because I gave birth to them. It's because I've looked after them and and you'd agree with me that that's the more difficult job.
2: Mm. Absolutely. And
1: um, yeah, I think that I was, just trying to convey that we're going to be homes for our children for as long as they need us, basically.
0: The other one I want to ask about is um, you did a plastic series.
1: Um, Well, this was, you know, well, initially this was a part of COVIDity where, you know, my daughters and I made over the pandemic a massive, it was, it's a very big series. And then I think later I thought about the little bits that we did talking about plastic pollution Mm -hmm. with, I, and I thought I did specifically, specifically just with the little one. And so I pulled it out as another set, but um, in that we, the little one was had assignment from school she was uh very interested in um um the pollution of our oceans and she became very upset when she watched the video on the you know the great pacific garbage patch
0: mm, yes
1: yeah and um she couldn't believe it she was she was beside herself she um is also um she's between my two children i think she's also quite um she feels a lot more she's kind of like she's kind of you know um how can I describe she feels the pain of everybody that lives yeah and so when she read that and she learned about all the these the sea animals and the sea life that was being harmed she was upset and I think it gave me an opportunity to go in there and and talk about that a little bit more and we talked about things like using straws and um, using plastic bags and plastic water bottles, and I said, "Listen, you know, I think that we we can agree that we should refuse the straw when you go to the restaurants." And they seem to agree, yeah. So I think I just use that at a moment for them to to educate them and to to solidify what they learned, and um, and specifically with the little one. Um, she and i thought let's make pictures with it because that's what that's what i do (laughs) (laughs) let's make pictures (laughs) uh no brainer (laughs) um so (laughs) so i think with the series we were just trying to communicate how you know this how um a sea creature a sea animal or a turtle or you know um a pelican might feel or a seagull might feel when they ingest plastic or um, um and how and likening the suffocation of the planet to the suffocation of this little girl, mm. my daughter, who's in the who's in the series, so kind of um drawing attention to that subject, and um having my daughter, who was seven, to present the subject to kind of, uh, to convey the, the the need for people to, uh, consider this um being a you know a significant issue that our world faces today, mm. yeah. Yeah.
0: Culturally growing up in India, you mentioned that your mum, you know, was artistic and but that was like the side thing because they had to have jobs and that. Can you share what it's like uh, or what it was like for you growing up in India, what your mum was sort of viewed as?
1: Sure. Um, so I'm thinking of the best way to, to reply to this one because mm. I can keep, you know, I can babble. Feel free, honestly, go for it.
0: You've got as much um, time as you
1: like. (laughs) So let's see. So, you know, it's a little, um, I would say it's a little complex um, in the case of my mom because, um, let's see, my father's family, like my father's side of the family, very patriarchal. And um, my mother lost her father when she was six years old and she was the youngest one of her siblings. And so when she so she she actually grew up to be quite independent. Um she she was an academic. She's been an academic. I mean, she's resi- she's no longer working. She's retired now, but mm-hmm. for for a major part of her life she always worked. And as long as I've known her, 40 years. And um so one would imagine that somebody who's you know Who's independent in that sense who could have a job and things like that would would probably have um a bigger say in the family but she didn't which i was very confused about for a very long time Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i only realized very recently that my mom actually didn't have power uh, at all and um, i think it's my father was always quite controlling and that was the culture of our family Mm um um was my mother supposed to sacrifice everything for the family? Yes, she was. Um she absolutely was supposed to do that. And I think that she spent her life and she still does doing that. Um mm-hmm. however within that I have to say that my mother would also take care of herself. It wasn't as as though she wasn't able to, but I think also that is also one of the responsibilities of the woman, you know. Mm-hmm to be a good wife to be a good mother but at that time be a good better wife than mother i think right I, yeah. you know like there's you remember like there's this uh, phases phases of where what mothers were supposed to be like and i think mm. um at that time it was more about being a good you know a, a better wife you know kids we were just like all over the place my mother didn't know half the time where i was <laughs> <laughs> she was like i mean i was a very uh timid and shy child so she didn't really have much to worry with me my brother was uh, i mean opposite but um i think it was more about you know do what your daddy tells you to kind of Mm. uh situation so that's kind of how i uh you know the environment in which i grew up my father was the boss and we all had to do what he wanted us to do and my mother was basically just um living out his orders in a sense yeah Mm. so and, and so I kind of saw a little confusing mix of things, whereas my mother was independent, but not really, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know. So that's how I grew up, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that, if, that, if that answers enough. It does. No, thank
0: you. Thank you for, for taking us through that. Is that it, I find it so fascinating that there can be such liberated women but have been raised by women that maybe weren't like that it's like you must have got a sense of it from something you know what I mean like where did that come from and yeah yeah and I just find it so I think
1: that it's very interesting and I think and I think about that because I kind of um, all my role models were women who who have you know mothered in a patriarchal world Mm. and um, I also mothered like that for for many years, um, I guess the time that I realized I needed to make a change, quite frankly, was when I when I got introduced to. Um, um, I don't know if you know about her, but her name is Andrea O'Reilly. She's um, she's written. Um, she teaches uh, motherhood studies um, in Canada. In I think it's York University. Uh-huh. Don't quote me on it. But um, she um, she's written a book about uh, the theory and practice of matricentric feminism,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm probably taking this totally off tangent. Oh no! But go I for guess it. what I was trying to say was that I think that when you know when I was making work about mothering and motherhood, um, I became introdu- I I got introduced to a whole um, a bunch of of mother artists who, you know, who I met just because i you know spoke at a conference i think in 2021 oh yeah last year yeah and um and i gradually learned about these uh i mean i was making work about put the mother first you know like let's talk about what it really looks like without knowing that there are so many people out there who do the same thing of course uh, there are artists and photographers as well who've done it who you know whose work i was aware of Mm -hmm. um but that is a movement now and that more and more we're talking about this and how important this identity is and how important it is to um um to kind of uh live the life that you want your children to have Mm -hmm. and i think reading reading the books that i've read now and reading the you know opinions of i think there have been some psychologists who have talked about this that you have to model the behavior that you expect and it's not enough to like i was telling my kids all the time you should never compromise you should never do this you should know but it's all just mm-hmm. talk unless you actually live it so mm-hmm. i yeah. think um then it became really important for me to have a life and a career and pursue something that i love to do notwithstanding uh, my circumstances and you know trying really hard to make way for myself and speak my mind and mm. um, yeah. yeah so I guess that's how <laughs> I guess we all we all and also I think it's when I stepped away from where I was the environment in which I was which was you know India or you know the family that I was surrounded by that I could actually see it objectively from a distance mm-hmm. And I think that kind of um, then helps. Then it helped me kind of put things into perspective. Being the distance helped, and yeah, yeah, looking
0: at it from a different angle, from a long way away. Yes, yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yes. Um,
0: on that, you've lived, you lived in Dubai. Yes. Now, as I mean, I've never been there. I only, you know, I look from a distance. Um, what. <laughs> that seems to be, I don't know if I'm getting this wrong, but a little bit of an oppressive place for Muslim women. They're not allowed to, I don't know if they're still not allowed to drive, but things like that, you know, that's a real, real patriarchal society. Um, What was it like being in that culture?
1: You know, oh, this is a hard one because when I moved to Dubai, I moved from Delhi and um the first i think couple of years i was still learning you know i was learning about it and of course i was enjoying it mm-hmm. um and then when and then when my husband and i we talked about uh, my daughter uh, we had my daughter i started looking everything changed when i when i when i gave birth to her mm-hmm. um first of all i never thought i could love someone so much was a big shocker but that's the pretty part of course there was an ugly part which was awful uh where i was like hit by a truck it's like what the hell am i doing what am i supposed to do with this little thing Mm. but um i'm I'm digressing i guess the the culture did not seem one in which uh, right for my family for our family i didn't think i could raise my daughter there Mm
2: -hmm.
1: i couldn't i couldn't raise I couldn't raise my daughters there no. And I I honestly for, even if I had sons I wouldn't raise my sons there. And I have nothing there is nothing. I know people who do it all the time and they it's, it's it can be very insular if you want it to be. Yeah. But I think I always um for me for our family I always wanted the girls to be exposed to the realities of life and to be able to learn to have the freedom to speak for yourself which mm-hmm. is lacking in in Certain countries, yeah. and um, and it's not just. I don't think it was really just patriarch patriarchal. That's the reason why. Mm-hmm. It was more about having the freedom of life, and having due process, and having the ability to fight for what you want. I think mm-hmm. that was more important for us. Yeah, and so you know because. A lot like i mean yeah life in it, it's beautiful it's comfortable you know you can get all the help you want um you know and i think that i we definitely had a more comfortable life in dubai but mm-hmm. um I, I i think we wanted the discomfort a bit yeah. <laughs> we, we wanted to come to new york and rub shoulders on the on the subway with people <laughs> like, Yeah. yeah we wanted a little bit of I wanted them to see what real life looks like, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Not I not know being, if that makes any sense. It do, it does, I, know. I hope I'm not sounding privileged.
0: I just... No, no, it, your, your, your perspective is important. And I feel like it's, it, to me, it almost feels like a curated world
1: in that. Yes, you know, I think that's a good way of putting it. Yes, it is. It is definitely a curated life. That's a beautiful way of saying it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so you made the decision to live in a place that would give your children, and maybe yourself too, that ability to speak your mind and to be listened to and valued probably more and be seen, yes. I guess. Yeah.
1: Yes, speak- and, and
0: yeah. go, go on, ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, go on, go on.
1: Well, I, al- I also had a little bit of a um, a secret dream, right? I wanted to come to New York. I always wanted to live... In New York, uh, ever since the first time I visited here, and I think I was 21 or something—I don't remember exactly—but I always, I wanted to pursue, I wanted to study art here. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: It was, you know, I never, I never thought I would. You know, it's like I was like, I wish, I wish, I wish. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband also really wanted to work um, in New York, and I think we were just waiting for a time to move here. We were just waiting for to find a window, an opportunity Mm -hmm. to come here. So for us, Dubai was never a final destination. It was always a step towards something else. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Do
0: you think that your art would have been the way it is now if you hadn't have lived in Dubai? Um,
1: I think so, yes, I don't think that I was I don't think well, let me think about this. I'm not sure I'm not sure I wouldn't make what I make now. Mm-hmm. I think what I make now is very influenced by my own life and my narrative which doesn't really take too much from my life in dubai to be honest Mm -hmm. i think it's very much a reflection of um how i have always felt as a woman as a girl yeah and and um how i've experienced motherhood at the start as a young mother
2: yeah
1: and um yeah and and even more recent it's just basically how we feel every day as mothers and how and i think it's important to mention and i and i wanted to talk about this on the show if i could Mm, that um what really happens to us when we become mothers right we have we transition and we uh interesting interestingly enough as one of my revered um artist colleagues, Helen Sargent, mentioned to me the other day. She said to me while we were having a conversation, I must mention her because <laughs> I can't be stealing what she said. Um, she, 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 We were talking about how mothers are born when their kids are born. right? We don't know what we're doing, right? We really don't. I mean, everybody seems to think that we should know somehow. And, and the self-help book is supposed to somehow tell us how you're supposed to feel, which is such rubbish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, oh oh I I'm feeling depressed. Let me open the book that tells me what happens to my kid when they're 6 weeks old. Yeah. Oh my yeah. my boobs hurt. Ah, oh, my nipples are cracked. Ah. Oh, what about what yeah. What about the tears that are streaming from my face? Do you have an answer for this? But yeah. um it's kind of a and, and she said something beautiful and she said that you know it's it's basically an erasure of who we of who we were. Mm. And uh, a, a gradual erasure of who we were, and um, that the world completely changes for us. And now I can't tell you. Now I can't remember why I was telling you this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that um, I think that I was just trying to express um, wanting a different, wanting a, to talk about. Oh, I was talking about my work. I think that's what it was yeah um and i think that it became essential you know that i was just shocked by what was happening with me when i came to terms with it i was like after several years after the second one was born i think that was when it hit me even harder Mm. um and i was like wait a second how is it that no no one else talks about this and you know like because mothers are always so busy and they're always on the move and Mm -hmm. everybody's always in their own little world where they're thinking oh am i the only one who wants to smack my kids right now like you know (laughs) um oh i'm a bad mother because i wanted to like yell uh but um I've done that to myself a lot, and then you know you 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 la you know you 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 end up screaming, and then you spend like you wet your pillow crying that night.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: so I think that for me it became quite essential to talk about these things. Mm. Yeah. And so, I don't think Dubai has much to do with um, with what I make honestly. Yeah. 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 the art of being a mum with my mum Alison Newman.
0: I'm glad you brought up about that what you're just saying about Mm -hmm. the identity because that's something I really love to explore with mums on this show is how how Mm
2: -hmm.
0: violently your life changes and how you see yourself (laughs) changes um, you know, and that analogy you said of you felt like you've been hit by a truck, you know that's mm-hmm. literally what it is, isn't it, it you just yes, get, you just get belted
1: <laughs> yes
2: <laughs> yes,
1: it is yeah. it's absolutely that because i'm I mean um you know in my case, I don't you know it might be different for but I think mostly it is yeah it was like that my mother didn't we didn't ever talk about it uh, my mother never oh. talked to me about how it was, and um i remember i had my my first my daughter and I came back home uh obviously i thought now i know how to feed my child because the nurse showed me how to do this i can do this and i came home and that night i remember i was sitting on the edge of the bed and i was sobbing because i had no idea how to breastfeed my child and i was like oh i have no milk i have no milk and i remember sobbing because i thought i'm not lactating and um and my mother and my mother in law, they both stood there at the foot of the bed and they said, I think you should give your child formula. And so I said to my husband desperately, I said, I need to go to the lactation consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to her and voila, I had milk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she looks at me and she says, You have, m-. she just comforted me and she just sent me back home, gave me a big hug and said, You're fine, everything's fine, go back home. But I guess what I was trying to say was that that was the first time I ever felt guilt i was like Mm. i'm a horrible mother i don't know how to do this i i don't know how to have milk which is like so stupid why would i know how to have milk why would i why would i know this stuff like (laughs) yeah oh no no no! i'm supposed to know it because like this is natural no it's not (laughs) i don't you know so i Yeah. yeah i think that i'm not even in fact i'm gonna say this i don't i don't think that i ever thought about who i was before i realized i didn't know who i was mm. you know i mean yeah. it was um and i think the loss happened over a period of time i remember i quit work uh when the older daughter was born when our older daughter was born um because i didn't have adequate maternity leave and i couldn't imagine leaving her in like 40 days and going back to work so mm. um my husband could support us. And I said, OK, you know, I'm just going to uh, this was in Dubai. And I said, OK, I'm just going to stay home. And I was really excited to be a mother, actually. I was really looking forward to it. I, I always wanted to be a mom. Um, and so this was a very exciting time for me. um. But, you know, over a period of time and through the birth of the second girl, I I started realizing how much I was losing control over elements of my life. um. I don't know, does that make any sense but oh, yeah, it does. My, li- my little girl was about one and a half i think it was 2014 sometime and i started to realize that i was so fragmented like, i didn't know who i was um like who am i um, i was always so invested in everyone else's life
2: mm-hmm. and
1: i think um we were out to a friend's house and we were you know, talking and my friends and my husband, they were engaged in this very riveting conversation about something current, which I was not current with. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I was trying to follow through desperately the conversation and my kids came over. And as always, you know how they come to you and they, my older daughter, and she started, you know, I need to go to the bathroom. I need to go to the bathroom. And so I took her. And when I came back, I was totally lost. And I realized Mm -hmm. that, um, in that one moment, it hit me when I realized, and probably you know, you'd wonder why, but I, I I think I'd been feeling it for a while, feeling like I don't fit in, feeling like I don't understand what's going on. Mm. And I think in that one moment, I was like, all right, that's it. I need to do something about this. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I I can't I can't live like a no. Like I don't. Who am I? I need to find myself again. Mm. I think that's what happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you weren't gonna perhaps let the fact that you were a mum stop you from that like in that that actual physical act of your child needing you and removing you from a conversation was sort of an analogy of you've been removed from the world because you are a mother and if I'm I don't want to put words in your mouth but that's how I guess I'm yeah, interpreting yeah, yeah. it. it's like that's a really powerful thing to connect and go oh not nah, not liking this this is going to change yeah
1: yes yes absolutely I think you mm. you phrase that very well and I think um i think what happened was that um it was a crisis really when i think back at that time i didn't i think i really had to even now like every day that passes i i i I see it better i yeah i see i see myself better now than i did then Mm. and i was lost and i was very unhappy and only i knew that Um, And I was, and I felt guilty that I had everything that I needed. I had a, I had healthy children, you know how it is. Like you have a, you have a happy family in a sense. And, and it's like, why do I still feel so empty? And, and, you know, I said, I'm a thinker. (laughs) So I was like, what do I, like, what's going on? (laughs) My children were flourishing and I was diminishing. Mm. There was something wrong there. And I think I had to acknowledge that. And, um and, and, and I knew, and I knew that it was because I, since I was about 16, I had been working part-time and I think that being dependent mm. uh and being, and being, and, and, you know, kind of losing myself was very hard for me too. And yeah, so I decided that I'm going to take pictures for a living, but I had to wait a bit. I had to wait for the little one to, you know, get to a point where I can kind of pull myself out it takes time once you decide but then by the time you get to it you know
0: yeah but you made that decision and that's that's the most important step I think because without that you nothing else comes so you know you've got it in your head that this is where I'm going to be this is what's going to happen and you can make it happen slowly you know over a period of time and you know physical barriers you know you still have to actually you know, you've got a child here, you, you can't just go, oh, you, you sort yourself out while I go do this, yeah. you know, physically, you know, yes. the limitations that life gives you, but you mm-hmm. made it happen, yeah. you did it, and that's just tremendous, I just love that. Yeah, yeah, I
1: think that it's, Um, I think, I think eventually in life, as you said, it's just essential that we all try, mm-hmm. you know, trying is all that is needed, and I think no matter how hard it is, to balance your professional life or whatever your whatever something for yourself with being a mother because that's not just who we are we're so Mm. much more than that and Mm. um I think that it's very important even if we have to even if it takes time like you said no matter how long it takes and and we may not get there but Mm. I think as I'm saying this, you know, it might sound crazy. I mean, it get there, like, but I think the trying is what is most essential. Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Isn't it? That is a sort of similar situation to some degree when um, yeah. when my first son was born and I'd worked full time since I was I left school and I actually got a job before I left school. So I basically just went into work and I'd worked full time till I was 20s, 20, 29 when I had my first child. So that's a long time. And I was very yes. independent. I was raised, you know, I had a lot of strong, independent women around me that always said, make sure you have your own money, you know, this, that and the other even my husband and I, to this day, we still do our own washing. You know, we don't, I don't iron his clothes because I don't know how to, because he can do it better than me. You know, we're very, we've got a weird setup, but, but when I actually had my child and I was sitting at home on the floor one day playing with him and I had this realization that this is my life now. Like there is nothing else for me to go and do. I I was thinking, oh, I've got to, what do I need to do? I had this sense in me, like, what have I got to do? It was like, you don't Mm. have to do, this is you now. This is, this is your life now and I just sort of sat there and just thought oh god like I had this it just made Mm. me feel so almost defeated like I'm not independent anymore Uh, you know I've got this little person to look after who I loved you know obviously but I just thought oh wow this is me now and I felt really (laughs) really defeated it was just a, a really weird feeling like Oh, yeah. this is you now. Like,
2: God. Oh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. horrible to say it out loud, but yeah. And so then no. I had to make myself find things that would be a part of my life now that would make me feel uplifted and give me the feelings that I had, you know, being an independent woman and going to work. How else could I get those feelings that I wanted to feel? And, like, and mm-hmm. same thing over time, you know over time yeah i think
1: it's really important to to talk about that and i'm and i'm so glad that you mentioned that Mm. and i don't think that it's horrible at all like i just i feel like it's so real because you're someone right and then overnight you're not that person anymore (laughs) yeah it's pretty it's huge and it is like it's just so why doesn't anybody talk like why, yeah. why don't we talk about this? It's such yeah. a significant thing. The maternal transition, it's so significant. Yeah. And there's no conversation about it. Yeah. And I remember like talking to my mom, like, why wouldn't you ever tell me? And she said, well, there's no, there was nothing to tell you. I'm like, <laughs> 50% of the population goes through it. She looks at me. I said, that does not make it any less significant. Mm. You know, that's the yeah. thing that I don't, I'm like, just because people. Ja- and wait, that fifty percent is women. If it was men, <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Right? Oh, honey, my elbow hurts. I'm like, ah, eh, just you know. <laughs> I popped kids out, buddy. You don't get to talk about your elbow. Yeah, yeah. Like seriously, oh. it's like if if those fifty percent were men, mm-hmm. it would be a diff. We, this would be a different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we would be having like classes for these <laughs> things, like. Men, you're about to pop babies out. Come and roll yourselves in. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. This is how you're going to feel lessons. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, I, uh,
0: you're spot on, though. You're spot on, and I think.
1: Yeah, like you so touched you just on It a little bit crazy there. Oh no, it's like Oh my god, I grab oh. this opportunity to make fun. Do then, it. Oh, god, sorry. no, do I'm it. I'm not a man. You know, and it just sounds like I'm not a man hater. I have a husband. Yeah. I love him. You know, it's like yeah. it's just that it's just that I feel that it's high time we just we were you know, talking about these things and not, and moms. And it's, and I want to mention this, um, this, um, I was reading a book. I think it's uh, it is Andrea Riley's book where she takes a little excerpt from Susan Mosshart, Susan Mosshart. Yeah. Who talks about the mask of motherhood, basically mask of motherhood. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's basically, uh, um, it's not just a mask it's not just a facade of what you know a facade that we're, we're, which we hide behind uh you know mm. telling ourselves that everything is perfect and everything is beautiful and not only are people around us responsible for that but it's also us right mm. like we have to take ownership for um for for putting on that mask for letting it propagate mm. so i think that it's essential for us to be more honest about how we feel and and talk about it and and it's okay because we love our kids you know mm. it's we love them we i mean if 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 there was a bus and coming at us we would we would be the ones under the bus not the kids like we we would give our lives for our kids but the ambivalence you know there is ambivalence and mm-hmm. it's important to talk about that and it's human to talk about that
0: yeah yeah um i think the way i sort of make sense of it like you were saying before It's meant to come naturally, you know. You're meant to know how to breastfeed. You're meant to know how to feel. You're meant to know what to do, and because I think there's that that um, what's the word expectation that you're meant to know what to do. So everybody just goes, "Oh, she's got a baby now. She'll be fine because she's she'll know what to do," you know. It's just Mm -hmm. that's what I think sets everything up for for all this these feelings because then when we don't know what to do. You know, we get that guilt. We get, we feel like we've failed. Um, You know, I felt like, like I had trouble breastfeeding my first child. Turns out Mm -hmm. it's because he was so sleepy. He just wouldn't wake up to be fed. He was ridiculous. And then all of a sudden at six weeks, he woke up and we were fine. But in that time when it was a struggle, I felt like an absolute failure because like I'm the mum, I'm the one who's meant to feed this child. And why isn't it happening? It must be my fault, you know. It couldn't be yes. anybody else's fault. It was my fault. You know, this is what we put on ourselves because we're conditioned to think that we're, we're meant to know what to do and it's all natural and normal and, you know, we've got to change yeah, that. absolutely.
2: <laughs>
1: I don't know if I'm racing you up to this, but I thought this was a great time to talk about mom guilt. Oh, yes, please. And yeah. um, I just, you know, and I could write a book on this because mm. and also like, like, it's such an awful emotion. Guilt in itself is such an awful emotion. Mm. And, I, and I'm saying this, you know, off the heels of what you just said. Guilt is a socially enforced emotion. Mm. And it's, we're raised to experience guilt as a marker that will guide us towards more socially acceptable behaviors. Yeah. Right? Like all, yeah. all humans feel it. But but because those who mother feel responsible for a huge variety of things, mm. right? It opens up more avenues for us to experience guilt in our yes. lives as carers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like just so much more that we do and c- taking care of other people's lives. And um but but the truth is that the practice of of mothering responds to circumstances in which we raise our children. You know, like if you're a mother in India, you're different than a mother in the u s or if you're a mother in the u k you might be different than somebody who's raising their children in a tribe in Africa like mm. or Japan like yeah. I think that motherhood is a socially constructed uh, institution it's a patriarch i mean I think mm. it's adrian rich who who distinguishes the institution of motherhood from the practice of mothering mm. and the fact that mothering is is a response to um circumstance and to the needs of the place where you're raising your child and it is and the institution of motherhood is influenced by the expectations loaded onto us by society Mm -hmm. by cultural representations of what mothers should look like like oh you know you should know how to breastfeed really no i don't or you know like things like that and or like you know mothers are supposed to I don't know making this up stay home with the kids not go to work and but in places where neoliberalism is all the rage Mm. mothers are supposed to go to work and take care of their kids and take care of their husbands and have beautiful shiny homes Mm. and do all of it all 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 like how can you even possibly yeah (laughs) do it all and feel like and feel like a success like yeah. something has got to give, you know, like you're going to, and the and the problem with this is that no matter how you look at it, because mm. of all of these expectations that we're trying to live up to, we will never feel like successes. Yeah. You know, it's like we're, yeah. in a sense, we're set up to fail.
0: Yes. I, what yeah. do you think? Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's interesting Um, you're talking about, um, it just reminded me of a, I had a guest on, probably i think it was episode three or four her name is rachel power and she's written this <gasps> book you know yes. her yeah
1: <laughs> i yeah. loved that interview yeah.
0: oh i'm yes. pleased yeah yeah. Yeah, she was yeah amazing. i love
1: that one yeah and she, she was yeah.
0: her her book um the divided heart art and motherhood for anyone that's interested um it really <clears> goes deep into this and she the way she described that you know the the feminists have had sort of led the way for us and told us that we could have it all. We could have a job. We could do this. We could do that. Yeah. But then the moment you become a mother, you know, what happens that all of it just disappears. And then you're left questioning yourself. Like, I thought I could, I thought I could do this, but now society's going, well, actually, no, you
1: can't like, you know, it's a really challenging. We lose all the gains of feminism when we become mothers. Yeah. and um and 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 you know andrea o'reilly talks about this in her book and she talks about how mothers need their own feminism we Mm. need our own because we have different needs you know yes women have their needs and mothers and mothers have their needs and mothers and mothers including anyone m slash others mothers Mm. you know like anybody mother and other who's taking care of um you know because now there's different ways and of being of of being a mother and doing the job of mothering yeah but I think um you know absolutely spot on there you know yeah. that there is no gain when it comes to us and we need we need a feminism of our own in a sense mm.
0: so Andrea O'Reilly I'm going to look her up because she sounds like someone that I want to talk to <laughs> oh
1: goddess goddess in the flesh yeah. 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 I uh, think that, oh my God, it that. would be quite smashing if you'd, if you can, if you can have her, because I mean, I, I just, um I think there was so much of what I read that opened me up uh, when I read her books. um mm-hmm. And I think it's, uh, it's I, what I've drawn from, what I've drawn from it really is that we have to really be open to talking about this and asking for what we need and,
2: mm. um,
1: I don't know how far you can go to exert political influence because at at the moment you know um as far as where I live in america in in you know the u s mm. we don't even have universal uh maternity leave it's yeah. it's absolutely bizarre to me that uh, look, this honestly, country does not have um yeah it's yeah. it's really <laughs> i mean I remember being here and coming here and thinking. Uh, i i really honestly think if i was somewhere else my experience would have been different Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and what i realized over here was um that women mothers were doing so much so much so much Mm -hmm. and um overwhelmed and the ones who were home with the kids like me uh, when I was a stay-at-home mother for a very long time I still think I am one I mean I don't think that's ever going to you know my kids are my central focus <laughs> uh, but uh, you know I, I I you know when I went and and those women were so isolated mm. and yes you might come out and meet other mums in your coffee chat groups and things like that but it's the there was no real like exchange of conversation where you could say that what do we really need and how can mm. we get there i think one cannot really get too far if you know the, the you know you don't have much support apparently oh, mm. we have no political consequence you know so yeah it, and honestly
0: i'm 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 not going to sound like i'm bagging america but,
1: do it do it oh, i
0: don't know like <laughs> australia is an amazing place when i compare it to other places in the world you know we have universal health care we have paid maternity leave system we've got paid paternity leave system um and then you think america's supposed to be the best place in the world the greatest country on earth and you think you can't even go to the hospital and get fixed up without paying a bill you know of twenty thirty thousand dollars and i just don't understand i just think how can you not be up with the times of the world of what people deserve and expect and are worthy of you know like how hard is yeah. it you know we we've got this medicare yeah. system over here where everybody you know that that earns over a certain amount of money a portion of their tax goes to medicare and it's simple i mean and it's not simple but you know what i mean it sounds very simple and straightforward and i know there's there's still issues with our healthcare system nothing's perfect and nothing can ever be perfect there's always things that can be improved but i think god the amount of times i've taken my children to the hospital in the middle of the night because they've had a bit of a creepy cough or I felt in pain and I'm not sure why. If I had a barrier of money in the way, I would never have done that stuff. And you just think, how can a society, a modern society function in that way with where money is the, the, the thing that stops you from taking care of yourself? Just yes, I think me. and
1: uh, it, it's definitely something of concern. And of course, they're riding on the backs of so many women who, who... Who basically raise the next generation without any support, mm. in a sense, and um, it's essential. What I what recently what is bugging me is that we do not have good mental health insurance, mm-hmm. and there's a an, there's a there's a different pandemic now. Yeah, yeah And it's and it's and it's really upsetting that i go to the doctors like oh i need a therapist <laughs> yeah. uh, there isn't any good therapist that your insurance covers i don't first of all i don't even know good bad but i just feel like if i start the process with someone i should trust that person and i'm not going to go oh after three sessions you're no good <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm going to go look. like it's very hard i think for people who Uh, like for someone who like when i go into depression or when i have anxiety i have i've always managed anxiety for many years and for me to actually pick up the phone and say i'm now going to call a therapist and make an appointment takes a lot of effort and when you don't have faith in the system it just gets so much harder Mm -hmm. and then i'm somebody who can probably even afford to pay uh you know for a few sessions and i think about all of for millions of people who can't mm. and it's um when healthcare becomes a thing of privilege, it's frightening, yeah, it is isn't it it really is yeah, yeah, it yeah. is, I think it's quite it's quite saddening, and I think the fact that even if there have been many ways to have physical health care, i think I think what's really very important is men- mental health care mm. and um which I think we're really far behind on. it's frustrating, yeah.
0: Yeah, look, honestly, from observing from across the world, it's just, it makes no sense. It really makes no sense.
1: I think if you are going to be a capitalist,
0: sorry, sorry. No, go on, go go on. I was just going to continue going, oh, it makes no sense. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yes, (laughs) it makes no sense. (laughs) No, I can totally understand how it looks from far away. And I mean, I honestly, like, I just feel like because we're such a capitalist country, like Mm. the most... Something has to suffer. Mm. We're about making money. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. In patriarchal systems of business, where you're you are basically respected for how much how much money can you make, and so therefore, in a place like this, where you're somebody who's paying attention, just raising your children and 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 raising them to be good human beings and with values and and all of these, none of that has value. Yeah you tell the mother that she's noble yet you you know you create a circumstance in which she cannot feel fulfilled because what you really value is money and Mm -hmm. money making yeah so i think that that's very demoralizing for so many people who who care for other lives and compromise on you know livelihoods Mm,
0: absolutely and then you add to that the fact that there's so many makers um you know that make art or you know music or any sort of thing and because they're not making a living from it then that is devalued as well because you're not making money so it's it's of less worth than someone who is making money from it you know that's a whole yes I think thing.
1: it's really hard to balance a career in art and be somebody who's a who's caring a carer mm. You know, because just by the nature of art itself right like it's It's difficult to know what you're doing and how it's going to be appreciated. And when you're making work, it's so personal. Sometimes the work you make and and so, I think that circumstances make it so difficult for artists, mothers, and you know. So we need each other, basically. (laughs) You know, we need to to lift each other up, and I think that's, yeah, yeah,
0: that's the thing. We've got to. I feel like. we've got a sort of the change has to come with from within first I think because the outside have their own views and they're the ones yes. that are continuing to hold these views but then if yeah. all the mothers say no that's wrong and everyone you know revolts against that
1: if for want of a better word yeah but yeah I, I don't, don't know, know. what I was saying that you know like you know that the fact that we we actually turn a blind eye to our mothers and things like that and I remember it's like you can obviously see them at drop-off can't you see their faces <laughs> mm. yeah you know I mean sorry I don't know where that came out from no but I it, like that, I was just thinking true, about though, that I was it? like yeah yeah I mean it's quite obvious that they need that you know and I and I and I feel sometimes like we live such isolated lives, and the whole idea of the nuclear family and living in, you know, a capitalist country or a nuclear family is the fact that you're isolated in your experiences, and you know, and so I think that that just aggravates an already difficult situation. Because I was like, I always imagine and fantasize, oh my gosh, if my mother lived across the door from me, <laughs> yeah. how wonderful would that be? <laughs> yeah. Like I can't handle this kid anymore. Throw, yeah. you know? <laughs> Catch, mum, catch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. But that's true, though, isn't it? It's like in in years gone by, you know, this the saying of, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. That was true. Mm-hmm. That was actually what would happen. You'd have people all around you all the time and it's, it's I don't know, yeah. forcing people apart yeah. seems to be, I don't know, yeah. the way the world mm-hmm. is. It's a really, I don't know. But I'm glad we're talking about it. It's, you know, yeah. like you said, it's the first, we... first steps to making changes, you know, yes, and deciding and I don't know.
1: I think it was to 2021, there was a conference that was held by um, the University of Bolton and in the UK. Um, And we talked and the conference was about the idea of the missing mother. That's what the conference title was Mm -hmm. and how the mother has been missing in um, the representation of the representation of the mother has been missing in um various disciplines and in art in particular Mm -hmm. and the invitation was for you know academics and artists to um researchers to come and talk about um to talk about the subject and share their work and yeah i so i you know talked about my experience and how how basically art helped me um, um pivot In a sense, that's what I used it for. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was my lifeline, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. And um, and it brought me back to life. And um, yeah. So yeah, I uh, I also present papers. I talk about I talk about my experience. I con uh, you know that was one conference I talked, and just quite recently there was um, a conference that was held by the Museum of Motherhood in Florida, Mm -hmm. and um, I also uh, presented a paper and my work. at that conference yeah. uh, and basically the idea is really to you know to talk about my experience to meet other you know individuals who you know uh, have research to share um constantly learning about um wonderful issues related to uh, the lives of mothers and mothering and um and uh you know because the representations come from various fields it's always it's enriching to learn about uh, and hear it from such people and I think because it was always important for me to I had decided I'm going to talk about this <laughs> yeah. uh, because it was important to me because I felt that I didn't find many people that would talk to me and, and how I felt yeah, and nice. so I think I for me it's not just enough to make you know work like photographs and you know stage photographs I also like to present and talk and listen to other people who are doing research in these areas
2: mm.
0: oh good on you that's great I'm gonna have to look some of these mm. things up you've given me so many things I'm yeah, happy to I'm happy to, uh, I'm happy to share
1: yeah, yeah. yeah I'm gonna share some I can share some links with you and That'd um, be right
0: yeah absolutely yeah thank you that would be wonderful
1: I was I was thinking about this when we were talking about the guilt thing, and I thought that a lot of uh, a lot of mothers who end up working while their kids are little will will say to me, you know, I I'm a better mother when I go to work, and I always used to wonder about that, and I still do, and I just feel that, um, I always you know, you know, consider that you're a better mother if you go to work, but then why do we why do we always have to make it about the kids, you know why why not for you? like mm. I think that because society has so much pressure on us um for putting the kids first, yeah you know, so everything that we do is for the kids, but um I actually hope that we can come to a, a point where we can say I, I, I go to work or I do this because it makes me happy, you know, because yeah. I need it for myself mm. um, exactly and not yeah. and not say because you know I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to feel. Mm. i'm just I'm just hoping that we could claim we can claim that thing that we do for ourselves yeah um yeah, it's without. an
0: interesting perspective, isn't it? It's like it, it we have to be feel good for somebody else, you know, not just for ourselves, if that makes sense
1: right yeah I, I yeah, I think really it is what it is is that um I think once you're a mother that that's the only identity that you perhaps feel very strongly about but Mm. um we're more than mothers and wives and or partners and yeah. and daughters we're 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 we you know like mm. individuals yeah, yeah. <laughs> no yeah. i I haven't heard any dad say that though <laughs> I'm, a better, I'm a better dad when I go to work. <laughs> now that the girls are older i have more time to spend on my practice um but when they were younger and until almost a year ago uh, i was doing a lot of housework and mother work mm-hmm. you know and um, i think during the pandemic i developed a practice to journal every day and make you know things to do list because without that i'd just like headless chicken all over the place mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. um so you know i i make a list and i and i and I, and the list has a lot of chores on it it has you know uh freelance work stuff that i have to do on it it has you know make creative make room for admin work on it you know so it's, it's a mm. it's a it's an extensive list but every day doesn't have too much on it because i've realized that there's only so much time you have right and but i follow the list and i and i and i And i put tick marks on the list like a little child like yes 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 i love that It's really (laughs) right like it's so satisfying to tick things off and and you know and and then of course i also write whatever i didn't write down on the list also that i ended up doing because sometimes don't you feel like oh my gosh like where did my day go Mm. I, i just did like two out of five of my list but what was i doing so i think that earlier i would feel defeated but now i just write it all down so you know, I end up with some sense of accomplishment, like, all right, I was doing this. And I stopped being hard on myself, really, I think I, I have, you know, take it with a little grain of salt, okay, I didn't get to doing this today. So I do it tomorrow, you know, so I, I think that you also have to build in a little humor into your life, (laughs) where, you know, you're like, okay, I got rejected by this, Uh, residency all right uh, on to the next one and I just got you know got a rejection letter for an exhibition and I was really bummed for about like I don't know 16 hours and then I have such a wonderful support group and I reached out to my mentor and Mm -hmm. and and I reached out to another mom and she's like you know what sometimes you just need people to remind you of the stuff that you already know so it's so important to have Mm -hmm. like people in your life who will You know, lift you up, and you know, just give you that little bit of a lift when you need it. Yeah. You know, like this one's not going, so let's on to the next one now. So
0: yeah, that's um, it, isn't it? Yeah.
1: And I think the important thing that I that I didn't do before that I do now is that I ask for what I need from Mm -hmm. my family and my kids. You know, like it's not all about them. Um, I'm having tea right now. Give me ten minutes. Come back to me in ten minutes. Because, you know, they see us and they just come running into the room is like, I need this right now. And I look at them and I'll say, you need to give me 10 minutes and I will come to you or, you know, whatever you need to do, you need me to do, put a post-it on my computer. So they write what they need and they stick it on my screen at the bottom of my, (laughs) on the bottom of my computer screen. And so that's like a reminder for me. All right. So when I get done with my task, then I do what they need me to do. So I think that like, I've built up a system where the kids also know now that they just can't walk into the room and declare, I need grilled cheese right now. I'm like, sorry, you're not going to get it. You need to wait. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, just asking for things.
0: Yeah. I, I think there is absolutely nothing wrong with setting your boundaries with your children. I think throughout my work in childcare, I think parents Mm. have this idea that they have to be at the beck and call of their children. They have to keep the children happy, and you're actually, Mm and you know, you've 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 got to set them up for for the real world too. Like, you know, when they get out in the world, the world isn't going to stop for them when they want something. You know, I think it's, it's actually responsible of a parent to set set boundaries and expectations around where children fit into the world, and not and in a kind way, obviously. But you know, you're yes you're you're setting them up for failure I think if you just you know I'm the same if I'm in here editing or recording or something and someone will come in and say mom can you do this I'm like well actually I can't do it right now but same thing you know give me five or ten minutes and then I'll do it you know and it's like yeah that's reasonable you know that's a reasonable expectation for your child to to understand that that is actually okay
1: (laughs) you know (laughs) yes absolutely you know I think that in the beginning I didn't I didn't I didn't do that at all. And so yeah, for me, I mean, you know, you know, know. I, I had, right. I am like, I, and I, and I still know a few mothers who, who, who live like that. And, um, and, you know, it's hard because uh, then you, it's, it's what about me? Exactly. And I think yeah. that that question is very important. You know, what about me? What about what I want? And I think that you definitely cannot ha- hope to achieve anything for yourself if you don't set the boundaries so that i think that's pretty and it's good for them i think that the children also will learn when they if they choose to become mothers Mm. that that it's okay to do that yeah yeah i remember when i I was little my mother would (laughs) my mother would be like i am drinking tea right now come back to me later you know (laughs) so she was definitely not there because you know she also worked and um you know she was not there uh, for me uh, all the time but she was a lovely mother and she still is and i think that um but you know i kind of got into the trap of saying oh whatever you want guys whatever you want but i think Mm. the significance um yeah so just simple things writing everything down i journal every day um and uh, i make lists and i ask for what i want and i and i also think that everybody's um experience Uh, is different of mothering and what they need is different so I think the real uh, need is to uh, sit with oneself and ask oneself what do I need what do I really need and go for it you know Mm -hmm. like you you matter I think that you matter and you're important and you know um just asking for what you need is important because uh, because a lot of times we don't ask because we're afraid of we're afraid of what might happen, you know, what the answer might be. But I think that it's, we don't, mothers don't really ask for things. We just Mm. give. And I think that's, it has has to, we have to ask for what we want.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I think, I think we're also afraid of inconveniencing other people because the mum's job is supposed Mm -hmm. to be making everybody happy and making everything good and right for everyone. But then if we, sort of upset the apple cart so hang on a sec yeah so yeah uh, yeah there's a lot to be said yeah and I
1: think and I think the other thing is that there's no straight path to this and we all have to pivot Mm -hmm. I think because of what we do and the nature of what we do is and every moment presents itself differently sometimes you don't know like suddenly my kid is going to from the swings and I have to rush like this has happened right with you too, i I'm sure Mm. where you have to rush your kids to the doctor yeah like drop everything and go and uh, usually it's me because my husband has a corporate job and I'm closer to the kids locationally you know school is closer to to our house than it is to his office besides you know he's in calls and Mm. and you know like it's my primary responsibility so I have to drop everything and go but you know in the beginning I would be like quite you know, helicopter in a sense, I would be hovering around them, making sure like going overextending myself and, and I still do those things, but I don't, but I, but I've, you know, everything, what I've, what I figured is that everything will be all right, you know, eventually, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like we, you know, like we don't have to lose sleep over every second of the kid's life, like, you know, it, it will be all right. And I think that I have to be ready to pivot and to take everything you know lightly laugh off some yeah. serious things yeah. in life and the kids yeah. also learned to do that with me so now they also learn to pivot so I think it's yeah. a it's a work in progress you know it's it's still hard <laughs> but it, <Yeah. laughs> we make oh, no. it work
0: yeah not good on you somehow yeah So, have you got anything you're working on? Anything coming up that you want to share with the listeners to
1: sort of look out for? Any any sort of projects or work? Um, well, you know, these days I'm um, I'm working on a a new series. I haven't started posting that on Instagram yet. I'm suddenly feeling quite protective of the work that I'm making. You know, because everything is just so personal and it comes from a place of. deep feeling.
2: Mm.
1: And um, I, I, you know, with this particular work that I'm making with the the girls, um, um, (laughs) they'll walk up to me and they'll be like, so what are we doing today? (laughs) It's funny. Uh, They'll come to me and you know, I've trained them so well, I feel like so they'll come to me and say, so what are we shooting today? (laughs) Because when I set the lights up and things, and then I'll say, and I'll tell them, then they say, then the next question is, so what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> you know? So I'm like, do you really have to know every time? No. Um, but isn't so that, great, yeah, I
2: though.
1: think that I is that. absolutely, I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, can we just get through it? And then I will tell you, no, mama, how about you tell, tell us first? And then, and then, well, I'm like, okay, fine. I've stopped being lazy. And like, so I tell them. Yeah. And then, and then my next question always is, are you okay doing this?
2: Mm.
1: And then they'll say yes, or or they'll say no, mm-hmm. but but usually they'll say yes because I'm uh, you know I'm quite clever in the sense that I don't I don't pursue subjects that I know will put them in a spot you know yeah. because I don't want because they will they um I revere my kids mm. I mean I this might sound crazy but I have this deep reverence for them it's not just love I. I, I really respect and um look up to them for so many things. Like they're just so wonderful and they're so innocent and they're just so loving and so inclusive. Yeah. And so they're, they're, you know, when they're agreeable to do something and when, when they're not, they will still look at me and think, oh, is mom going to get hurt because I say no. So sometimes yeah. they will say yes. And I don't want that yeah. because I don't want that. I don't want them doing that. So I'll be like, "Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure?" Mm, Yeah, we're sure. Anyway, so so these days, I'm I'm making something, um, and I'm, they both are growing older, and um, my older daughter has started her periods, and the little one, you know, she, she's now nine, and she suddenly changed over the past year or so. And you know like how we talk about kids come having coming to the age of reason Mm. you know i was kind of i think it's kind of between seven and nine years old and she she knows her place in the world and she knows you know if i'm gonna you know consequences and Mm. uh, of actions and good and bad and morality and she's quite in that space right now where she's thinking about all these things and she's no longer uh, a child and and i can see that they're becoming more independent um, and I've become obsessed with, with time. I feel, I can feel my, my biological clock <laughs> and I'm so concerned with time and its impermanence and how my daughters have my time in their hands, you know,
2: mm.
1: and the fragility of this moment and how little we think of now, you know, like this moment, mm. um, um, I'm, I've become so conscious that they're letting go of me in so many ways, and so so I'm thinking I I want to let go, but I also want to hold on to them. Yeah. And yeah. you know I I'm aging and they're blossoming, so these things are happening all at once, and I'm thinking of all these things, and um, you know they're maturing. I'm happy, but I'm also I'm also a tad melancholic. You know, at the loss of their childhood, mm. and I'm relieved that I have more time, but I'm wistful for the tender moments that I've spent with them
2: yeah.
1: when they were little. So there's this yeah. we're in this liminal space, and I'm curious about it, and that's what I'm hoping to explore.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that, that's um. Oh, look, there's a there's a song one of my guests wrote um Jen Lush she was in one of the earlier episodes last year and she wrote this song and it started off with uh, I want to put you in glass and that was the the way she wanted to stop her children from growing and it was just this when I when I heard that I was like oh you know all the the pulls in the heartstrings like oh my gosh
1: my babies are growing
0: up you know and it's just you just want to stop time every like every time you look at them they're growing they're getting older every moment it goes past they're getting older and you just think no
1: (laughs) slow down i know no it's just yeah yeah it is
0: an It is
1: quite a difficult um every 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 turn as they age is is, presents something different to us Mm. uh, and a different uh volley of emotions again you know like i feel like it never ends (laughs) it's like i need to breathe (laughs) yeah you know like uh it's like wait a second can I ever be happy? Like mm. my kids are now finally growing up. I don't have to clean their bums. I don't have to stand in attendance. I don't have to say, now nah write this down. And like, I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God, can I just do that again? Can I wipe their bums? Like, <laughs> well, not wipe your bums, but can you hold yeah, my yeah, hand?
0: Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. It's
1: just like, it's, 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 it's a ride. Mm. We're on a roller coaster here, I guess yeah absolutely I, I mean you know it's, it's just something all of us I think as you know like mothers we go through this and it's it would be interesting to see what response I get once I put the work out there but right now I'm yeah I'm just quietly making it
0: <laughs> yeah oh lovely I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that presents itself that would be very exciting to see <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: God, yeah. yes. I love that that's awesome Thanks. Been yeah. such a, a delightful discussion. I've oh, so enjoyed this. It's
1: been beautiful. Oh, it's oh, been fun. Yes, it has. Thank you well, again. I hope you have something good to you know one with. And oh, that's oh, so is, nice to talk to you. Yeah, it has been for so me.
0: lovely. I've oh, just had such a lovely chat. Like I get so much out of everyone that I speak to. I take different things from It's really, it's such a wonderful thing personally that I love to do I just love to talk to people and you know challenge ideas and yeah why why do we do this and all this I just love it so yeah thank you for indulging me what what
1: you do is wonderful I think I think what you're doing is so significant and it's so important and so I'm so I'm so happy to be here and talk to you thank you so much for for giving me for giving me your time
0: (laughs) oh no thank you thank you it's been lovely Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following or subscribing to the podcast, or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic
2: mum.